Welcome to Conversations from the Leading Edge, a monthly radio show and podcast featuring interviews about extraordinary advances in the area of peace and conflict studies happening at or around Columbia University. Each month, we feature interviews with scientists and thought leaders who are conducting groundbreaking work aimed at managing conflict constructively and sustaining peace both locally and globally. My name is Peter T. Coleman, and I'm coming to you from the studios of WKCR at Columbia University. The show is sponsored by AC4, the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. And now for today's show. Hello and welcome to Conversations from the Leading Edge. I'm delighted to uh, host this show tonight. My name is Meredith Smith and I work at AC4, which is a consortium at the Earth Institute of Columbia University, and we focus on conflict resolution and um, sustainability. And um, today I get to explore this topic of um, community and police relationships and um, a very, very exciting and important initiative that's happening um, to address and work on this relationship. And um, my guest today is um, Chuck Obasi. Welcome, Chuck. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> and um, so Chuck is a um, uh, artist and has taken many roles around the theater and um, communications and he is currently leading an initiative for an organization called Intersections International that's based here in New York City. And um, the initiative is in partnership with George Mason University, and it's called Uniform Justice. It's a theater program um, that is kind of like a live documentary, if you will, um, that looks at um, police community relationships and really um, moves communities in urban areas um, to, to go forward with wisdom and tolerance, I would say, um, from traps of retaliatory violence. And Chuck worked as a director and playwright on this initiative, um, just finished nine months in Claremont, New Jersey, working on... Yeah, um, yeah, Montclair. Montclair. Oh, Montclair. <laughs> Claremont. <laughs> Sometimes I I'm dyslexic. I think there's a place called Claremont, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I have to say, I'm I'm kind of nervous because I'm just so passionate about this topic. Um, yeah, me too. And the the work that Chuck is doing, and um, also before Montclair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chuck was um, worked on a nine month project that was um, similar to to what was put in in, in um, Montclair in Memphis, Tennessee, mm -hmm. and so that was in 2014, and yep. then New Jersey was uh, 2015. Uh, yeah, or yeah, 2015, 2016, yeah. Yeah, um, so I think starting there, um, Chuck, could you tell us about what's the passion that brought you into this project in particular? Uh, yeah, um, I, I think I got lucky um, because, I mean, I, I mean, I've been with intersections in some way, shape, or form since uh, 2009, and, um, and I've done lots of cool projects uh, there, um, in partnership with a, another company called TEA, Theater Engagement in Action. And, um, you know, at the same time, you know, I've always had, um, you know, a, a social justice mind, and, um, and I've always really cared about community police relations because, you know, I've, I've had my own issues with police growing up. Um, you know, I'm from the South Bronx, and, um, uh, and, 
a lot of things that are, you know, blown up in the news. I've I've seen it and I've experienced it. You know, stop and frisk, uh, harassment. Um, yeah, I've been in the middle of that, and so um, I I found myself in a situation where I'm at intersections and. Um, and this man uh, by the name of Dr. Jamie Price, who is from George Mason University, is starting up this initiative, you know, years ago, where he's telling me, hey, so I'm going to be in Memphis uh, working with uh, the police out there, uh, training them in this approach to conflict transformation called insight. And, uh, you know, it's something that I have been studying for a very long time, insight. It's, a, it's, a, it's an approach to conflict resolution or conflict transformation where uh, we study how the mind operates when engaging or disengaging in conflict. And so, you know, he's saying, oh, I'm going to do this training for the police out there to see how to apply insight to, um, to law enforcement. And, and what I am hoping to get out of it is if they're able to apply it effectively, they'll come across as more authentic and people in the community will trust them more and people will be more likely to call them rather than take matters into their own hand, uh, uh, which is, you know, what we call retaliatory violence. And he's telling me about all of this and I'm thinking, wow, this is a really cool project, you know? And I'm like, yeah, this is what, you know, communities need. Like, uh, we need some way to, uh, to shift our mental narratives um, regarding the police, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't until later on in that project that he turns to me and says, hey, you want to be involved in this, um, in the theater capacity? And I'm like, yeah. Um, and so that's why I say I was lucky, because I was in that, uh, I just happened to be with Intersections, and uh, Jamie's the husband of uh, a woman named V.F. Price, who started Taya, who, uh, which was part of Intersections at the time. And so everything was, it was like a perfect. Synergy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so were they already um, interested in theater, or how, did, how was that medium kind of chosen? Uh, yeah, that's a good question, because at first it was just supposed to be about law enforcement training. And, um, and the, the general point of the training was to um, ask police what would happen if you looked at crime as a conflict. And, and not just a crime. And Sorry, so, where was this? In Memphis. This was in Memphis. Okay. Uh, it, you know, it was actually in Memphis and Lowell, Massachusetts. So mm-hmm. it was a pilot project going on in two cities funded by the Department of Justice. And um, so um, as this was happening in Memphis, you know, uh, and I think it was 10 to 12 police officers that, was going through, that were going through this pilot project, um, I guess at some point along the way, uh, the mayor's office which wasn't initially involved, um, the mayor's office in Memphis uh, wanted to get more involved. And so um, my understanding of it was that, you know, they approached uh, Jamie and uh, Fareed Johnson, who uh, was working with Jamie. And, and Fareed works at Intersections. He's, uh, he heads the uh, Arts and Humanities program. So they were approached, um, you know, just to say, well, this is great what, what we're doing with the police department, but what could we do for the community? Is there a community equivalent to this kind of engagement that really could um, constructively build the relationship between uh, police and community? And mm-hmm. so, you know, both Jamie and Fareed, you know, having their relationship with intersections, which, 
in a lot of ways is uh, uh, does tons of art, you know. Um, so in a lot of ways, it is an arts organization, mm-hmm. among other things. So they said, well, art, you know, art is a universal language, and and it brings people together, and it could be entertaining. And so, why don't you do art? Why don't we do theater? <laughs> and so, um, I guess from my understanding, the way it was put was, you know, why don't you guys identify a local theater company, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll bring someone from New York, you know, that that does insight, and uh, that person can work with this local company and create an insight theater piece um, around community police relations. And so they uh, they said, all right, well. They selected Hagelou Theater, which was, you know, a very well-known theater, is a very well-known theater in Memphis. And so Jamie and uh, Farid reached out to me, um, you know, as a, as a playwright in, uh, in New York. And they said, hey, Chuck, you want, that's when they approached me and mm-hmm. said, you want to get involved? Uh, and I said, yes, I was hoping you would ask me <laughs> at some point. Um, and, yeah, but I, it, I think it was just, you know, uh, their minds, Jamie and Fareed, their minds automatically went to theater because we really do feel that art um, is such a, you know, a visceral way to engage people, and um, and it really, it really can be transformative, especially when it's used um, and applied in a responsible way. Yeah. So. How does that process work? Of you know, when you do the training, um, my understanding is that then you would use some of the actual quotes from the people in the trainings and am I understanding that the insight training is for the cops themselves yeah the training was for the cops and uh, and you were in those trainings also uh, not in Memphis okay Uh, not in Memphis Um, I was in Montclair but I I hadn't been um, recruited yet (laughs) when Uh when the police training was happening Um, however uh, we did something somewhat similar with uh, the actors um, whereas uh, they went through their own training, but it was a lot shorter. It was kind of a crash course introduction to Insight because ultimately what we wanted them to do was to go out into the community and have what we would call Insight conversations with people. You know, um, an Insight conversation is essentially like an interview, but um, it's with the purpose of really getting the threat narrative that people are experiencing in relation to a certain topic. And you said so threat narrative, the right? Threat narrative, threat, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, you know, essentially, uh, when when people are in the midst of a conflict, uh, it's because they feel threatened by something, and so they're protecting that threat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's often a misunderstanding, but, you know, it's very valid that someone would feel threatened by something you know, based on a, a past experience, and um, it's on us to be curious about whatever that is, what's going on for someone, and very often we're not curious, and that's why um, conflicts escalate, because mm-hmm. we both, you know, the two people or whatever, <laughs> they just continue to become further entrenched in their own position, because that's all they know. They don't really know the other position. They don't know where that person is coming from. Uh, they don't know what values that person has and these are all valid you mm-hmm. know we just uh, as long as we're willing to listen to it um, and it's hard to do that when we're you know in a place of emotional tension and whatnot and so um, yeah it seems like so those cycles or retaliatory violence and in and of that itself looking at it as retaliatory violence has mm-hmm. those sort of 
what you're saying of entrenched um, habits or cycles that come up and when there's this context of yeah one individual but it gets in with the history or um, yeah other stories that yeah absolutely I mean if if I got into it with cops back in the days and uh, you know and, and they treated me like crap and then uh, fast forward to some years later something happens to a friend of mine you know if I if I'm thinking about this past experience I had why would I want to call the police it's you know and so if I feel like I can't trust them because of what they've done to me in the past, I feel like my only other option is I need to take care of this myself. You know, and it's it's unfortunate to have to think that way, but that's a reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that that in itself is a cycle. And so how do we break that cycle? You know, it's hard to break that cycle if we're not going to wonder about that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if people are approached and they say, hey, I'm not going to talk to you, you know, we can say, all right, well, fine. You know, or just so you know, you're insane for not talking to me. Or we could wonder about why. You know, what, what, why won't you talk to me? And that seems like such a simple question, but it's rarely asked in the middle of a conflict. Right. And so, when these trainings happen, uh-huh. um, so the the cops go through a training, the actors go through a training, um, and then kind of tell me about the process of when do those two groups or um in you know as individuals or what where do they enter into the conversation together together mm-hmm. oh that's great well in a few ways um one in when uh, in early in the process when we have people going out into the community having insight conversations i mean the uh, the purpose of that is to really get these authentic insights and so that includes having conversations with people in the community as well as police officers um, you know, so we try to cover a wide range of people, um, different generations, uh, different culture, cultures, um, different professions, you know, parents, kids, teachers, police, clergy, um, whatever. And Real so, mixed. Yeah, and get these different perspectives. So that's one, that's one mode of engagement. Um, you know, we also found that it was very important, I mean, for a project like this to be successful, we need to have a buy-in and investment from the police department. And because if we don't, it just feels like, um, it may feel like that it's us against them once again, and here's us coming up with our own story. But if we have both sides, if you will, and I try to avoid calling it two sides, but. It's so, um, I mean, ridden in our society today. I think that most people refer to, well, um, in mainstream, it seems like police community is a broken relationship, you know, right. especially like in Baltimore or, you know, um, so. Right. And I, you know, and I try to look at it as, you know, police are part of the community. Um, so you're basically saying community versus community. You know, if, if, if you're having a family conflict, um, it's a family conflict. And even if they don't live in the community. They're still part of the community because they are actively contributing to that community. And so, you know, if we if we move away from that perspective, then we're I fear that we're more likely to remain looking at it as a two sided battle or struggle. And so, did you, um, like Chuck? How did you personally get to that place of seeing community versus community? Um, was the insight training something that you had come across before going into this, or were you, you well, know, antagonistic um, <laughs> <laughs> at some point? I mean, it sounds like you you had stories, you know, where yeah, you could have fallen into. Uh, you know, I've it's it's been a um, 
you know, since I was 13, uh, 12 or 13, I think it's, I've had my own personal journey in, um, in understanding conflict uh, in general, but um, certainly in regards to, you know, police and community, I, I've always been uh, an optimistic person, you know, I, I've always been a person that likes to give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like that uh, got that Anne Frank mentality that you know everybody's good at heart. I, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm an idealist. I, I I really do think that way. And so you know, even even back when I was a kid, and and uh, and even though there were times when I, to be honest, hated cops. You know, for for the stop and frisks, for the you know the the verbal abuse and whatever else I experienced. You know, I, I knew deep down, you know, like, they're people, and I'm a person, and people are people, and um, and some people are just jerks, and sometimes a jerk happens to, you know, wear a uniform, or maybe a jerk is wearing a suit, or mm-hmm. sometimes a jerk is wearing denims and a white t-shirt, you know, these are human attributes, you know, and so it just happens that sometimes you know that kind of person has a prof- is in a profession that directly affects you and you know it's it's unfair to allow that to you know paint that narrative for everybody that wears that same uh badge or or suit or whatever and so, so it sounds like the insight training does get people to a, a place who you know come in perhaps with this already a hatred to um cops or mistrust you know so um you were getting. You were telling about how they're brought into the room together. Yeah. Can um, we revisit that again? Yeah, and so, um, well, the as far as like police and community being brought into the room, that really happens on a on a large scale when the performances happen. And so, so if we go back to Memphis, um, we did five performances of this play, Uniform Justice, and uh, we did it at. Um, uh, this community college, uh, and I'm forgetting the name of the college at this very second. I'll probably remember it like five minutes from now and say, but anyway. How <laughs> did that happen? <laughs> right, yeah. it happens. Uh, um, but anyway, so, um, so like I was saying before, you know, we need that buy-in from everyone, and so these these are performances that were, you know, f- full audiences, but these were these weren't just kids these were this was everyone uh, there were cops in their uniform in the audience sitting down next to a parent um, next to a teacher and and every performance and this is really important like be, this uh this is just as important as the performance itself every performance is followed by a facilitated dialogue um, where we really uh, dig into those stories that we saw on the stage you know we have this audience now and they, they've had this shared experience and so now we're all going off of that you know, we're talking about the same thing, um, that that experience and what it brings up for us. And so, um, you know, we try to, you know, obviously we can't, there's always going to be uh, tons of variables, but we have this, this variable where we're all talking about that s- story. And so, um, you know, so we have officers saying, well, I really saw myself in this character and, uh, and this is what I hope the audience got out of what they saw in that character, you know, and having that turn into, you know, maybe a five-minute conversation before we jump to the next thing. You know, an ideal facilitated dialogue would be like 30 minutes, and, you know, and, and even more ideal than that is, 
you know, that becomes just the beginning of the conversation. But, you know, in essence, the beautiful thing is we have this shared experience where, you know, everyone that's considered part of this conflict is in the room at the same time. Mm-hmm. And and we're, we have a platform where we really get to listen to each other mm-hmm. in ways that it's hard to do when we're in the heat of interactions that are, um, you know, that get tense. Uh, and so I, I think it's... Um, there's definitely possibility for transformation to happen there, and even if it doesn't happen then and there, you know, there, it's almost we're almost guaranteed to have some kind of insight offered that people can carry with them when they leave that theater. Yeah, you know, and so yeah, I am um, am so drawn to the work. I think because of that communal experience, mm-hmm. and so it's it's interesting to hear about the facilitated dialogue afterwards because yeah. I was drawn to the live format you know and that you take those sort of the the I want to hear about as a playwright what you do with the the documentary work you know mm-hmm. that you get from the training how you transform that into a script into the play um, and also just wanted to add the um, sort of dimension that how the live format can is such in um divergence to our current day where there's you know the digital media that you can sit at home and and get it so yeah there's there's so many different things that are that come out by this format that you're yeah. using and yeah. um well there's nothing like theater um and this is coming from an actor who who's who's done <laughs> all the mediums I, you know i've done film i've done television i've done theater and i love them all uh, but theater is a very unique experience. Um, mm. You know, it's live. You know, it's it's different every night. It's it's fresh. It's it's visceral. And um, yeah, you know, and in some ways, I can't even just put it in words uh, what it's like to to get on a stage. And and you know, most if not all actors will tell you that if they've done both uh, mediums, uh, film and, and uh, theater, and live. Um, and so I, you know, I think it's it's so important to be able to have that as a platform um, to do this kind of thing. And so to your question about, you know, how the, the, these stories are turned into a script, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> it's quite a process, to be honest. And, um, and it was different for me. It was different between Memphis and Montclair, New Jersey. You know, uh, in both instances, you know, we have people having these insight conversations, and they're coming back to the group with like these transcripts of these conversations, or, or sometimes these conversations are recorded if um, the interviewee is okay with being recorded, and we're listening to it, and it's like, okay, you know, authentic conversations are inspirational, and so they inspire creative writing on top of that. So, um, you know, lots of different things would happen. Maybe we're you know, I'm writing a poem based on what I heard, or I'm writing a song based on what I heard, or maybe I'm writing a scene, and you know, I even take one or two lines verbatim from that transcript, uh, that transcript, and add it into this scene. Mm. Um, you know, but ultimately we, ha- uh, you know, we're creating composite characters from different conversations. So, a lot of that is what's happening. Um, the difference between Memphis and Montclair was. Know Memphis, I just, <laughs> I just like wrote the script. You know, yeah. I'm like, give me all these conversations, um, 
you know, and sometimes an actor would would write a song and and as well and things like that, and and um, and I would write something based on that song because that song and is is in itself like an insight conversation because these are local artists that are you know writing and they're sharing their own uh, feelings and thoughts. Um, it was a little different in Montclair where, uh, you know, the the feel of it was just to to really to just straight up incorporate some scenes and monologues that actors were writing and just putting it right into the script. Um, you know, so I find that it'll be a very unique experience city by city if we were to continue doing this, uh, which very well may happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's what yeah. I was curious about too, kind of whether there's a, a strict structure for it, you know, and if that's coming out now that you've done two and um, how the the timeline is whether yeah. it would you think it would be different depending yeah. on the place uh and so there 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 are certainly pr- parameters to um to the process that we're um learning about as we go you know and, and there were a lot of things we learned after doing the memphis uh, process and then we carry that into the montclair process and then we've learned a lot doing it what we did in montclair and if we do it somewhere else you know i think we'll just continue to build on it um, so, you know, nine months tends to be a good number, you know, just because we don't want things to drag on and on and on with this process, you know, but that doesn't mean it can't be 10 months or two years even, um, you know, to get something like this done. Um, you know, it's always going to be a different experience when it comes to writing a, an, an original work. And, uh, you know, in Memphis, I directed it. In Montclair, we got a Montclair resident to direct it once the play was written. Hmm. Um, so what was that choice for? How that, <laughs> how that come about? Well, I, I think it was just curiosity to see what it was like if we empowered the community a step further in saying, let's have you direct your own show. And I think there's a pro and con to doing it both ways. Um, you know, and uh, when we before we went into to, um, to Montclair, we had a meeting with the mayor. Robert Jackson, and and we asked him, so what is it that you loved about Uniform Justice? Because he had seen it uh, prior, and he said, well, I love that you're like these outsiders coming into a community and fully immersing yourself in it, soaking it up, and then, and then painting this picture and reflecting it back to us and saying, this is what I saw. Hmm. And there's something to be said about a, a third party being able to do that um, in an authentic way. Um, could we tell our own story? Sure. But there are challenges in that, you know. You know, it's sometimes we could be biased. You know, sometimes we have to fight against coming from our own perspective as, a, as an active participant in that community. And so, um, you know, in, do, in having me direct the Memphis production, I think it was really um, about getting this, these outside eyes, um, particularly outside eyes who have that studied insight for like yeah. seven years uh, to do that. And so I guess we wanted to see what it was like to, you know, further empower that community of Montclair to say, all right, let's, let's have you guys get your own director. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll write it, like, I'll write the piece again, but, you know, let's have Chuck work with the director and, and see, see what she does with it. And yeah. In this case, what she does with it. Um, Elaine, <coughs> Elaine Molinaro was the director uh, of Dream on Church Street. Uh, that was the uh, title of the Montclair piece. 
and for the I want to talk more about this impact that you're you're um, hinting towards or kind of coming out of what you're saying and in that choice of even you know empowering the local community by letting the other um, the local theater decide the director um, for your you mentioned how with the interviews with the community at the beginning you really purposefully design it to try and get a mixed audience you know different ages different backgrounds um, how about for the com the audience you know that comes you mentioned that the play takes place or it did in in Memphis it was in a community college um, how was the turnout who was in the audience um, well you know what often when you do a show uh, you have a target audience right and so um, you know, if, if we were to step back and look at Uniform Justice and, and say, you know, what's the best audience for this? You know, I've heard people say, this will be perfect for high schools. Like, teenagers need to see this, or, or maybe even colleges. You know, that's the, that's the target, that's the core demographic. And then sometimes we say, well, this is a community piece. You know, we want everybody to see it. And, um, and so, so I think there were, there were many ways to look at it to begin with, but but ultimately, we tried to find as many platforms as possible to, to market it. Um, because it was done at a community college, uh, we were able to heavily advertise it on the campus. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we drew a college uh, demographic. Uh, we also were able to get a lot of, of, of media attention on this. Um, so we had lots of uh, news outlets, you know, do interviews um, and whatnot. And so... I did think, you, yeah. Sorry, did you have, yeah, kind of unexpected voices coming out saying, um, you know, any sort of resistance to it, perhaps? Um, that's a good question. Any, any resistance? Um, I think at the stage of the game when I came in, there wasn't a ton of resistance. I think there was a little bit of resistance, perhaps, in the very beginning of this process. Um, and I think the, you know, there's there's a resistance that comes with, you know, being met with outsiders uh, who are supposedly doing what could be perceived as oh trying to help us or save us like we don't need you like mm -hmm. you're coming here telling us like oh we're gonna help you, um, <laughs> and mm -hmm. so you know we had to build trust you know build, yeah. a, build a rapport. And um, so did those cops that were included in the insight training, did they, and that, who fed the script, so to say, in a way, um, did they come to the performance? Yeah. And yeah. did you get to hear kind of the reaction? Did you get yeah. the response you had expected? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was so great uh, to have, <laughs> you know, cops would come up and, and you know, <laughs> it, it was, I'm just, I'm laughing because... I'm thinking of this one officer in particular, and, and like, you know, when we have a facilitated dialogue, you know, someone would raise their hand, and then we'd call on them, and they would either talk from their seat, or they would stand up where they are, and then they'll sit back down, and this one officer, she stands up, and she just walks all the way to the front of the house, and she's like standing like right next to me, and she's like, this is exactly what I want people to see, you know, and this is why... Like, all you see is this, but you don't understand there's this as well. Like, yeah, I got a family, too. <laughs> it was funny, you know? That was so good. <laughs> she was passionate, <laughs> as was everyone else. But, and that's exactly what I 
what I wanted to see. So it was kind of a, a joyful rage. Oh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was great. It was great, you know. They were just as passionate as every other member of the audience, you know, and, and you don't often get to see that uh, when you're talking about cops. You're more likely to, to see someone that's trying to keep their emotions in check, you mm-hmm. know. One of the things we heard very often in having conversations with police officers is, you know, there's a fear of, of showing any kind of emotion or compassion to be confused as weakness. And so they try not to do that. Or, you know, they have this, you know, almost subconscious tendency to have this hard shell. Yeah. You, you know, and it's unfortunate, but at the same time, it's like they, you know, this is what I've heard, you know. There's this need to um, have this presence where you won't, you, f- you you feel like you're less likely to get taken advantage of and whatnot. Do you think that their behavior will change as a result of this, um, or career will change as a result of it? Yes, um, we've heard testimonials, as a matter of fact, and um, and you know, Fareed was actually in Memphis recently, and he, and he told me uh, one of the if there's like a general takeaway that uh, the police officers who took part in the process um, have, the general takeaway is, okay, uh, a crime is also a conflict. Now, <laughs> obviously it is. But there's a lot of things that are obvious that we don't acknowledge. Mm-hmm. And there's just a more intentional acknowledgement that a crime is a byproduct of a conflict. And if we address the conflict, you know, there's, there, there's a possibility for an outcome to be, to turn out, you know, in a more, it could be a more healthy outcome. So here's an example. Uh, um, an officer gives a testimonial of, uh, of a time when he um, went to someone's house who was suspected of having drugs in his house. Uh, he came with, uh, with his backup and, and they knock on this person's door and the guy answers the door, sees the police and he immediately f- like flips out, you know, and behaving erratic, throwing his arms up, whatever. Um, and so uh, this is something that, you know, cops often experience. And so um, and often it, it may end in this person being forcefully taken down. Um, and forcefully taken in. Uh, and so the, the adjustment that was made as a result of, of insight training was this officer decided to ask, why are you, why are you acting like that? Hmm. Again, it seems like a simple question, but it often is not asked in the heat of a moment like that, you know, especially when you feel like your life could be in danger. Why are you acting like that? You know, we have a warrant. And the guy goes, yeah, I know. And I know I'm probably going to get arrested. And they're like, okay, so, <laughs> so, why, so why all this fuss? And he's like, well, to be honest, you ruined my day. You know, <laughs> I, you know, my, and I'm putting it in my word. You ruined my day. I'm supposed to get a phone call from my wife in like 15 minutes you know, to let her know how I'm doing. And now I, I won't get to call her because I'm going to be in the back of your car, something like that. And so they said, well, why don't you call her now? Hmm. And he goes, okay. And then he calls her. And then, and then he goes peacefully because he had drugs in his house. Uh-huh. Um, so that police officer who shared that story, and police. he said he didn't think it would have happened that way. It wouldn't have happened that way if there wasn't 
just a second to think, obviously this person is has some threat narrative that if I wonder about it, perhaps I'll hear about it and then understand how to more um, personally address him. Yeah. You know, and um, so that's what that, you know, focus on the conflict could do. I'm not saying that's going to happen all the time, but mm-hmm. we've heard lots of testimonials just like that where it could have ended much differently, you know, with, with someone being hurt, um, physically hurt, maybe even killed. Um, but just, a, you know, one question or two questions really changes the trajectory of the experience, you know. Yeah. Subtle thing, but uh, it can have a really huge, you know, impact on the situation. Yeah, if you were going to take this to the next format um, or push the format in any way, it's already pretty innovative in the way that you you transform documentary and Mm -hmm. then have the facilitated dialogue. Is there a next aspect that you feel like, you know, what would you add to it um, as you go into this next project, which hopefully we can hear about that, and then I think uh-huh. we'll have to wrap up um, with that. Um, it's just the time. Um, you know, you know, I'm not quite sure yet. Um, I think there's always possibility for, you know, I think sky's the limit when it comes to uh, coming up with options for what else to do. Um, my biggest hope is that, you know, the community, um, after, you know, committing and investing in something like this takes that experience and runs with it so it's not just a very a cool performance and a cool conversation afterwards and then that's the end of it and sure sure uh, uh, an experience like that you know could could potentially you know help to shape someone's values but but what else could we actively do after that um, you know and a lot of that is up to that community it's up to that city now what? So do we want to maybe put something in school curriculums? Um, do we want to train the entire department or train incoming recruits in insight and not just those 10 officers? Um, you know, what do we want to do? And so our hope is that, you know, uh, uh, cities, municipalities, towns we work with, um, you know, would really run with it and come up with their own things as well. And now you have a new municipality that you're working with, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can um, we talk about that? <laughs> and so, um, so Montclair, um, you know, that that was, you know, a partnership of a lot of people. You know, the Montclair Police Department, uh, you know, the, the mayor got involved. Uh, Union Congregational Church. I mean, this all happened when a member of Union Congregational Church saw Uniform Justice, this woman named Roxanne Kent, and she saw her and she said, you know, this is great. She went back to Montclair and said, she went to the police department and said, I need someone from the community police division to come with me to see this play. Um, so that happened, and then it kind of just snowballed into, the, into this eventual thing where we had all of these different stakeholders, if you will, say, all right, no, let's, let's come together, let's make this happen. And, um, and so, uh, you know, uh, money was raised to do another uh, police training where we did a... Um, a 20-hour training with 10 officers, um, and then once again we did we did a play uh, where we found an artistic director who would direct the play, 
brought me back on board as a writer. Um, assembled a company of 11 actors. Uh, one of the actors being a police officer, uh, which was the case in Memphis as well. One of the actors was a police officer, which um, mm -hmm. really, um, mm -hmm. really Probably shows. brought it home or made it real for yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the troop and mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. the audience. And yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so it ended up being uh, something similar where, you know, over nine months we did the training uh, we did the piece which premiered just a few weeks ago um, you know as a first draft uh, and then uh, so we premiered it as a staged reading which um, from my understanding uh, will become a full production as early as the fall um, and uh, really presented for a wider audience. Uh, we had an audience of about 70 people see the premiere of this, and then we... Um, the one in Montclair. The one in Montclair, uh, Dream on Church Street, and then we showcased it two more times just this past week, I believe, um, for another, uh, for two more audiences. I, I attended the first one, and there was about 50 people there, and, um, and so uh, the nine-month project is done, but the but the process continues, mm -hmm. you know, with that. And and now that they've had that experience, uh, you know, that they're going to see what to do next. But there's definitely an intention to do something next, um, you know, and that's been a, a very clear understanding. Do you have, are you still engaged there, or do you have another municipality that you're going to work with? Uh, there's a few other places that we're looking at right now. Um, you know, we've... We've done, <laughs> we've, uh, so Uniform Justice premiered like right before Michael Brown and Eric Garner happened. And so we didn't even realize that, you know, two years later we would still be putting this show up in different places. And so um, it just became really apparent that, you know what, this is, um, this is a, a way of telling the story that no one else is really doing um, in our experience. And so um, we, we took that piece on a tour. Uh, we did it in New York, upstate New York, in Cleveland. Um, can't remember where else, but it was like an East Coast tour, basically. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, oh yeah, in different parts of New Jersey. And so, um, so some of the cities where we've done it, there's interest in in doing something there in some way, shape, or form. Uh, in Cleveland, in in Patterson, in in um, East Orange, uh, maybe Jersey City, maybe Newark. And you're talking about taking the, the dream on Church Street. You took it on the road to those places. Oh, no. So we did that with Uniform Justice. Okay. Um, and so so all these places where we've gone to with Uniform Justice, you know, one of the questions we often ask is, you know, this was the story of Memphis. It's, it's, it is a universal story, and it does resonate with any community that sees the piece. But, if, but can you imagine what your own nuanced story would look like? You know, that's what we ask every audience. You know, we, we asked that to audiences in Cleveland. We asked that to audiences in Patterson and in East Orange. And so, um, and so there's, there is, you know, I'll just say there is conversation about right. possibly doing that in these places. We'll see. Maybe yeah. even here in New York City. You yeah. Know, maybe. You know. Super. Yeah, super. Yeah, yeah. So if somebody wanted to get involved, it sounds like, you know, knowing that the aspirations for this are not to go to Broadway, but to mm -hmm. have kind of community engaged initiatives and to make communities 
more viable communities. Um, and um, what would you suggest um, if somebody wanted to start this in their own community in uh, Denver, Colorado, or, <laughs> um, you know, should they, can they just start interviewing or should they do the insight training or should they come see Dream on Church Street? What would you? Yeah, well, um, you know, I would say this is a very unique uh, approach to theater, um, you know, that Viev is pretty much pioneering and creating. And so uh, if there were any interest in our approach to theater, um, you know, I would just say check us out, you know, um, intersections.org, um, check it out. Uh, we have a page devoted to uniform justice. Um, if you want to know more about the play, you can go there. Uniformjusticetheplay.com. Um, check out, uh, check it out there, and um, you know, <laughs> hit us up on Facebook, whatever. But uh, essentially, you know, we're. If you want to find us, you can find us. If you want yeah. to reach us, you can reach us. Um, and uh, you know, we're we just we're happy to have this conversation about what it looks like and and what our what our process is. I s encourage people to look at intersectionsinternational.org. Also, it's just the other programs that happen there are very fascinating and on totally different topics, but yeah. also use arts um, pre predominantly as a means for engaging people on difficult conversations or difficult topics and um, making change on like LGBT yeah. uh, issues and relations Veterans. with, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll end it here for for now um, so thank you so much for for joining chuck and sharing about your work um yep oh, thank, thank you. you meredith it's been cool the music for this show was written and composed by kevin johnston and is titled kingdom stowaway